Welcome to the Guiding Compass podcast. My name is Sandra Kushner, and I started this podcast to help listeners learn more about issues related to mental health and well-being. Today, I have Alicia Brannett on my show. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist who practices in Culver City, California, and we're talking about sex today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Alicia. So, Alicia actually used to work with me at an addiction treatment center, and um, she works a lot with sex addiction, gambling addiction, mm-hmm. and drug and alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. But today, we're talking about the fun stuff. Well, yeah, <laughs> sex is fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So can you tell us a little bit about you and your practice and how you kind of got into working with, you know, addiction mm-hmm. and then kind of channeled that into working specifically with sex addicts and why that is interesting to you and sure. some so, of your work you do? So yeah, I went into working with addicts in a rehab in 2010 and they were one of the only rehabs that had a gambling addiction program. Mm-hmm. Um which was amazing and remarkable. And about 30% of my practice still revolves around gamblers and their families. But what I noticed with the gambling addicts is the behavioral addiction and what that really, how, how that really is different and specific than the chemical addictions. So then we went into sex addiction, shopping addiction, internet addiction. Um, and really for me, they seem to all travel together. Mm-hmm. Usually, you know, you'll get someone who's gambling and you also find out that they have a porn addiction and, you know, or people, what happens a lot that I see in my practice is people post gastric bypass. So they've given up their food addiction, mm-hmm. sex addiction, gambling addiction, shopping addiction. Wow. So it's kind of the process addictions yep. and how it transfers from one behavior to another. Yeah. And a lot of people don't recognize how destructive those type of behaviors can be. Like, being a sex addict can become extremely emotionally traumatizing for a person just as much as being a heroin addict. Yeah. But there's, you know, not as much, I guess, conversation about that. And a lot of lack of education, I would say, people don't talk about it. Well, I think the shame piece, yeah. you know, is such a driving force. And it's, I mean, do you talk about sex when you meet a couple in your practice? Yeah. So that's something that... <laughs> I am excited to have this podcast because even as a therapist for me, like, that is a really uncomfortable topic. Exactly. I think for me, um, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is more of a conservative culture. Um, And even though, you know, my family isn't conservative, I was raised around, you know, an environment where that was kind of, like, not talked about. And there was some stigma and, like, judgment around, you know, talking about sex. And it's kind of something that people – kind of brush underneath the rug and just mm-hmm. yeah, wasn't well, the, the norm two, to talk about it again. The two things that I find people don't talk about in sessions with their therapist, sex and money. Mm-hmm. And wow, really, yeah. And how hard is it for you as a therapist to talk about money? To even Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> very true. Yeah, those are the two things. I mean, and both of them are so tied into how we exist in mm-hmm. this world. Like sex is a huge part of life. Yeah. And, you know, it's, for me, even a vulnerable topic, and I'm a therapist, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I would say, a pretty not judgmental person and open, mm-hmm. but it's something that I struggle going there with, yeah. with clients, and within my own life, like, I've really had to work on, you know, kind of accepting that part of myself. When you assess, when a client comes in, mm-hmm. and so you're trying to figure out how their functioning is in the world. Part of the things that you ask about, are you sleeping? Are you eating? But you rarely ask, are you having sex? 
Mm-hmm. Are you orgasming? Do you do you enjoy sex? Exactly. Is it a problem for right. you? And, yeah. and why is that not part of our discussion as therapists? It's, I mean, I've seen and I know of marital therapists who forget to ask, and that's a couple. Yeah. <laughs> and they still don't ask, "Are you having sex?" So, it, it, I mean, half the battle is making it like you're saying, taking the shame away. Yeah. And just make it because it's it is a function of our of our existence. We're sexual beings. Yeah. So how did you kind of become comfortable with this topic? Was it something that just naturally unfolded as you started doing more work with? I, well, I kind before I became a therapist, I had a like a show that I did. It was kind of a magazine show for women, mm-hmm. and um, it was sponsored by a sex toy company. Mm-hmm. And so I was forced. <laughs> And talk about it. I was forced to talk about it. So for seven years, I, I once a month, I, I talked about sex toys, and I had a sex therapist who was, you know, specifically a sex therapist, positive sex. That's what she talked about. Um, and and I learned a lot. I really did. And I learned how to get past my own issues and what my issues were. And now in my practice, I work with polyamorous um, relationships. I work with, you know, all kinds of people who are trying to figure out what their sexuality is. And we're, you know, as as counselors, as therapists, if we can't accept them as who they are, venereal warts and all, mm-hmm. um, then how can they accept themselves? So it's really, I think, more it's more about letting other therapists know. You know, y'all have to figure out some way of getting past your own problems or refer out or take yeah, a lot of classes. Totally. And for me, that's why I was so adamant about getting you on to talk on the show about this because not just for other therapists but for clients too and for listeners of this podcast. Like mm-hmm. um, I just was blown away with how comfortable you are talking about this mm-hmm. and how important it actually is because it's a huge part of our overall well-being healthy relationships. There's a lot of lack of education. You yeah. know, kids are having sex and parents aren't talking to them about it because it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that, you know, is a normal part of life, just like eating, breathing, and sleeping. Mm-hmm. And yet, for some reason, there's just so much shame wrapped up around it. Well, think about why people go to therapy, right? Mm-hmm. They go to therapy because there's some kind of problem. There's something they want to change. There's something they're stuck in. There's something that's that's making everything else in their life dysfunctional. And and no matter what modality you use as a therapist, you're always coming down to who is this person? Who is the true, authentic person in there? So you have to be okay if that true, authentic person does not look at the world the same way you do. Yeah. And so sometimes the therapist has to go to places that, you know, that you make you like really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, you have to sit with the discomfort. And I think there needs to be more, I guess, like, I guess, tolerance. Yeah. I mean, I like, there's a great book written by Steve Danziger called um, Something. And it is about, it's about, it's clinical dharma. It's called clinical dharma. So it teaches you as a therapist how to sit with the suffering of others. Mm -hmm. And you don't necessarily have to assume that suffering, but you can, you have to learn how to sit with it and Mm -hmm. That's part of our growth. Yeah. And that's really hard to do. It's really and hard to do. A lot of people do. are like, you just listen to people for work. And I'm like, it's so much more than that. This is yeah. the most, one of the most draining burnout professions, I think, out there. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about sex and how you've used that to bring 
couples together and how do you facilitate that discussion in session? How do you bring it up and how do you get people to go there and be vulnerable in that way with you and with each other? Yeah, there's two things that come up with couples, which is either we don't have enough sex or someone's having sex with somebody else. Infidelity. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So those are really the two things. And I don't think, you know, one is more necessarily in when couples come to my office. I don't know what other therapists see. Um, so like we were saying, normalizing it, taking the shame away from it. Um, people get, do get past infidelity. There's a lot of good work that's been done on that. It's really, you know, I have clients come up with non-negotiables, you know, um, I have clients, well, we'll do a, um, (laughs) um, like if a client comes in and they'll say, we're not having enough sex, or mm-hmm. we're not having sex at all. And then I will give them a very basic assignment, like a sensate focus, mm-hmm. which is, you know, we all know how to do that. And I will tell you that. Can you say a little bit about so what that? The sense, sensate focus is a really old fashioned um, set of exercises where the couple start out with basically non-sexual touching. So if you're breaking the body down into different groups, so the erogenous zones are, let's say they're number three. And then as you get further away from the erogenous zones, twos and ones, Mm -hmm. you have the couple do non-sexual touching. So only touch number one. And you have one couple taking care of the other couple. And then that progresses every few days or every week, depending on what kind of thing, so that the touching becomes more intense and um, to orgasm. Mm -hmm. Um, Where one Part of the couple, if it's a two-person couple, because like I said, I work at polyamory and that's a whole other thing. Uh, One part of the couple will ask for what they want and the other person has to respond without any judgment or whatever. Nine times out of ten, if not ten out of ten, the couple will take these sheets of paper home, look at them together, crack up, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and have sex. They don't actually (laughs) do the exercises. But in a way, just the discussion can seem seems to open up a lot. Yeah, definitely. And I think in couples especially, like sex is a reflection of the quality of the emotional relationship in a lot of ways. If you're not feeling connected to your partner or there's resentment or there's shutdown or lack of trust, like that's going to come up in the sexual relationship. Yeah. And it makes it really hard to communicate you know, your needs in that way. And I think that's where a lot of the infidelity stuff and looking for validation and external sources kind of comes in. I mean, I think infidelity could be totally not related to the actual relationship at hand. Sometimes the individual can make that happen. But what I I always say in couples work is the, the reason why sex is important is because that's the only language the couple has that is purely the couple's language. It's their secret, you know. And it's the glue. So if they don't have sex, even if there's a beautiful agreement, they're not speaking to each other on some on some level. Yeah. There's some sort of disconnect going yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, infidelity can come from a lot of things. And and the in, there can be an individual that just refuses to participate in the relationship. And that's, you know that person that, you know a lot of times what happens is couples will come in for couples work and I try to do short-term work with them so mm-hmm. I'll see them maybe three to five times and then I'll say 
go away and check in with me in a month or so. So I do more like a solution focused kind of building thing with them. Um, but I almost, I, I find, and maybe it's just because of the way my, I'm like theoretically bent. I, I almost always want them to go into individual work. Individual work. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and why is that? Because you come into the, you know, when you see a couple, you're seeing the couple. That's your that's who you're treating. You're treating a couple. You're not treating the individual, but it's made up of individuals. Mm-hmm. And so if they if they are stuck in their own thing, you know, feeling unloved, feeling unattractive, feeling ashamed, you know, in trauma, you know, whatever it is, and they look to the other person to fix that, you know, you know that stuff that comes from inside. Mm-hmm. And they have to do their own work. And sometimes that's kind of a lot of times people come into therapy and they'll be like, fix us. Or or I'll get phone calls from a spouse saying, I'm sending you my spouse, fix them. <laughs> and you're like, well, wait a minute. And people never want to look at the mirror. <laughs> yeah. In the mirror disconnect. and turn on themselves. Yeah. Especially, I think, in relationships like you – I mean, I see that in my own work a lot where people or couples come in and or individuals come in and they're using that relationship or that other person to feel whole yeah or they're using sex or validation in that external way to feel worthy and loved yeah. and, and i think if that's serving that purpose where you're using an external thing or validation in that way to feel whole and worthy you're never going to have a good healthy relationship and you're never going to have a good sex life because then you're going to be too scared to ask for what you need yeah. to talk about it and to own your you know your needs right right i mean yeah. we could do exercise where it's you know where it's like i'm going to where you can write little things on pieces of paper and throw it in a hat and you know you're going to you know, to tell the other partner to pick that, pick, pick something out of a hat and you have to do that. Mm-hmm. And so that way there's less judgment. You don't have to look the person in the eye. You can, you know, do, so it's like nonverbal. Cause sometimes it's scary to say to something, I really want you to take that and put that there. Mm-hmm. But if it's written down, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I can go do that. Totally. So it, I mean, it should be fun. It's not so friggin' serious. Yeah. And and as a therapist, you know, it's that's kind of a funny place that we have to go to in therapy too, which is like, can we bring fun to the therapy too? You want the couple to enjoy their, themselves and their lives and because they always come in. No one comes into couples therapy happy. They always come in like, this is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> they've, they've hit rock bottom where they're kind of desperate and they need something yeah. different. But that's not what couple, you know, you should be enjoying your life with your couple. So mm-hmm. as a therapist, hopefully you go in and you're like, maybe you're a bright spot in their week. You know, mm-hmm. you're goofy or sweet or funny or real. Yeah. yeah. I love that you make it something that's just a positive in the relationship because I think in so many ways – What's more vulnerable than having sex with someone? You're literally exposing yourself to that person and letting them into you. Yeah. You know, like you're sharing the most intimate and vulnerable experience with another human. And a lot of people in our culture are uncomfortable just being emotionally vulnerable. So combine emotional vulnerability with physical vulnerability and all that sex is. Right. You have two people that are really being seen in that moment. But that's scary. It's so scary. To a lot of people. And, yeah. and when it goes over to addiction, mm-hmm. that's where you see that piece, where it's people who, you know, maybe don't want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And it becomes, the, the addiction becomes closing off that piece. And, and, you know, and that's also, you know, I spent a year studying with um, Patty Britton, who is the doctor of sex 
and uh, she ran the American Association of Sexual Educators for mm-hmm. five or six years herself. And she really frames it as, you know, positive sex, sex positivity. Sex is good. Everyone should, should be having sex. Um, so that is really complicated because really that's where I am theoretically. And then when you're dealing with sex addiction, then that's the negative piece. Mm-hmm. Where it's actually coming into someone's life and destroying it yeah. and destroying their functioning in the world yeah. in a lot of ways. That's a hard balance because in a way like you've learned to have a really positive outlook and relationship mm-hmm. as a clinician with sex. But then also you're seeing people that have used this positive thing in life. And kind of taking it into a destructive yeah. pattern, yeah. you know, and kind of sabotage themselves in relationships and stuff. Yeah, or, or that the sex becomes a different part of their life that is not life-affirming. And, you know, this look, why there, there are some people who can have two glasses of wine and they're fine and they're happy and it makes their life better. And there's some people who go down a horrible, horrible tunnel of addiction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we don't know who's going to do that. Mm-hmm. Or why? Yeah. Well, I mean, we know why. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, that's very true. And I love how you kind of mentioned how you use that like playfulness and exercises that kind of take some of that vulnerability away and just yeah. allow people to have little baby steps and practicing how to communicate and ask for what they need, but maybe not have it be so intense and so personal. It's like kind of like literally baby steps yeah. towards like the bigger goal, which is to one day be able to communicate openly about your needs and wants with your partner and it not be something that's yeah. scary or why, and why bad. should it be right but mm-hmm. that's you have to help people what we do right mm-hmm. is we help people feel comfortable with who they are yeah and so if it's a couple you're helping the couple become the, you know who they are as a couple and you know you'll see couples and you'll go oh my god how do they ever get together <laughs> Totally. <laughs> they come into your office and you're like, oh my God, this will never work. And then you see why. After you, you're with them three or four times, you're like, oh yeah, they do that thing and that's why they're together. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to bring them back to that place. Like that's the thing, you know, sit next to each other on the couch and sit there in that thing and do that. That's great, yeah. you know, but not to be afraid as a therapist to, you know, it empower them as for, you know, I hate that word. It's so goofy, but to, to give them the, the freedom to find their own thing. Yeah. You know? no, that's really, really powerful. Um, so that's cool. The way that you kind of help them talk about it is those small little exercises. It sounds like kind of like bringing some, like taking some of that like anger and pressure off and just mm-hmm. like, just have fun with it. Like, yeah, this is just like joke about it, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think in that, like just having that silly moment together when a couple comes in and they're in distress, maybe because of their relationship or infidelity or stress or whatever's going on, that little bit of goofiness and like joy and just laughing together, mm-hmm. that goes a long way. Just even a small moment of leaving the therapy session and being like, I can't believe she gave us right. that weird or, or fucking like, assignment. Know, I mean, they'll make fun of me together, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> they join. Yeah. They're joining by looking, isn't that therapist weird? Isn't she goofy? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. What do you think she's like? <laughs> yeah, they're reconnecting in there, though. So and- that's exactly it. So you have to, you know, because I'm talking to you as a therapist more, I think I think we as therapists, you know, we have to make them feel safe and give them a place of safety where they can join, but not 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 be afraid that we have to always be so, like, 
theoretical and didactic and this is the way it is. And I think that with sex, we're so scared mm-hmm. that we do become more, much more of that, you know, well, Kinsey said, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, we, we, no. <laughs> no, that's not what works. No. So what are some kind of, I guess, ways that you encourage people to follow through with what you recommend? Like, because I'm sure, I mean, we've seen it. We work a lot with clients. Like, they say they'll do it in the session, and then they never actually, like, follow through, or they go back into that destructive pattern of arguing or being distant with each other pretty quickly. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing to, like, oh, we did it once and it worked, but, like, long-term success and actually transferring what they're learning in sessions. and Well, I, you know, I mean, you only see them for 50 minutes out of their whole week. Mm-hmm. So that's that precious little piece of time. And usually when they see you, they're either on their worst behavior or their best behavior, not how they are in the rest of the week. And I think that's something that we always have to frame as therapists. It's like, all oh, right, all right. This is just that 50 minutes they come in here. So then, so you're always, you are always kind of balancing like, I'm here so they can be safe to do that. And wow, maybe they shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> it's like uh, um i i i think they take it with them for the most part whether or not they act on it during the week is not my i mean i i my i can't have expectations Mm -hmm. they're gonna do what they're gonna do i was always taught if they come to session then they're doing the work Mm -hmm. because they're showing up yeah so there's a piece of them that wants to do the work whether and you and I both have worked with addicts for a long time, you know you can't control if they're going to use or not. They're going to use if they're going to use, or they're not going to use if they're going to use. Yeah. But when they come in and they see you, there's a piece of them that you have to acknowledge that wants to be sober and wants to be well. That's true, and that's the same thing with a couple. Like as much distress yeah. and resentment and anger and lack of sex that they're having. If they're showing up and they're making any effort, yeah. there's something there for both people that has a piece of hope, right. I think. And it's our job to really find that and help them remember why they chose this person and if they want to continue right. to choose this person and what that's going to look like emotionally, sexually in the future moving forward in their relationship. And some, and hopefully you're giving them a place where they feel safe mm-hmm. so they can say, by the way. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how do you kind of help couples have those conversations? Because you kind of shared a little bit about how you get them to experiment with new things and stuff. Mm-hmm. But how do you actually bring up sex with a couple in the room and have kind of facilitate, I guess, that discussion? And in your work, have you noticed that are men more comfortable talking about it or are women more oh, comfortable? That's interesting. Um in heterosexual couples, a lot of times it feels like the men are there to make amends, to make their wife happy. Mm-hmm. That's my experience, and that's really conventional. Um, and then as the, tre- as the therapy goes on, then, then I, I get to see more of the real way they speak to each other. And at that point, because usually the first session – Someone brings the other one in and says, you know, this one is blah, blah, blah. And how can I make him see this, this, this? Or, you know, or she doesn't, you know, what am I going to do so she doesn't think I'm blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's not until they get to know who you are and that they're comfortable, you know, and they've made their alliance that that they're going to really start showing you how they talk to each other in their own lives. And that's when you can start pointing these things out. And 
it may be as simple as just changing where they're sitting on the couch, right? You know, when they walk in and one person sits in the extra chair that you have in the corner and the other one sits on the couch right next to you as a therapist and when they're talking or when they talk about the other person. Mm-hmm. Like their body than, language. Rather than to them. So sometimes we just like physically like sit over here, switch over here, look over here, you know, talk to this, say that to your husband, don't say that to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And then you, they start to really have to be f- in that moment with that person, you know, rather than all this stuff a lot of times. And I know you've run into it. They'll come into your office and they start to download what they, in the car, they're like, okay, I got to talk to a therapist about this, that, this, that, this, that, this. Mm-hmm. And they feel like they have this agenda um totally <laughs> yeah that happens all the time i'm paying this like, amount of money we gotta talk about, about this. this yeah um rather than just like letting it unfold sometimes which to me some in my work has been some of the most beautiful sessions yeah where there isn't like a pre-planned agenda and yeah you kind of just allow whatever comes up to come up yeah. and unfold it's so funny that you said that about couples and like their body language i have a couple I'm working with now and they came in and at the beginning of this the work art together like they were sitting on opposite sides of the couch leaning away from each yeah. other there was an, a betrayal of some sorts in their relationship um where the wife was very angry and as we've kind of progressed in our work and there's been some healing and repair done in that relationship it's been crazy just to see their playfulness come back in their right. relationship all of a sudden they're sitting closer to each other on the couch and you know, he's slapping her on the arm a little bit, like a little bit of flirting. And this couple has been married for over 50 years. Wow. Like they're an old, older couple. But they're, that's coming back into their relationship because they're learning how to be vulnerable mm-hmm. with each other. Again, they're learning how to reconnect. And, you know, we haven't really talked about that sexual aspect of their relationship. But I'm assuming just judging by their body language and how disconnected they were that when they came in, and the fact that that physical touch and, like, closeness appears to be coming back in mm-hmm. their relationship just in that room, I'm assuming that that's being repaired, too. You don't know. I mean, you know, a, a sex in a couple that have been together for 50 years is a really interesting topic. Mm-hmm. And uh, they may, may or may not be having sex. But I think it's important for us to underline the behavioral changes, the physical changes, mm-hmm. because we're we're witnessing it, you know. It's like when a client comes in and – all of a sudden they're relaxed in your room, their speech isn't pressured, right? They, they are talking to you, they're looking at you rather than down at the floor. You know, that's something that you want to reflect. I mean, we do. We say, oh, you know, what's going on? I've noticed blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I think for couples, when we underline that for them, then they notice it. It's like, oh, he's touching my hair. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> I like I that. that. I mean, it's the cornerstone of intimacy, I think, in a lot of ways. Like, mm-hmm. that's what sets a friendship apart from, like, an intimate relationship is, like, that physical connection in that way. Mm-hmm. You know? But I think getting, I mean, you touched on a really interesting subject, which is getting couples that have been together for a long time to talk about their sex life is harder than getting couples to talk about sex when they've been together less I believe that. I mean, and then there's the other part where, like, I feel scared to bring that up. Yeah. I well, feel like it's inappropriate yeah, yeah. to bring up. And that's, like, obviously my own stuff. Mommy and daddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, like, my own stuff, like, as a therapist and as a person that I need to kind of look at and, like, process and stuff. But I think that highlights just, like, 
how uncomfortable it actually is. Yeah. And would you, would you say that to the client? Would you say, are you uncomfortable with me being a young therapist? If they're oh. 65 year old, 70 year old couple comes in? Um, yeah, definitely. I brought up like that happens a lot with yeah, yeah. me because I am a younger therapist and you know, most of my clients are my age and millennials, but I've had a significant amount of older clients and even some elderly clients as well. Um, it's intimidating, but yeah, I think it is more intimidating in the conversation with a couple, mm-hmm. especially related to that topic. Yeah. I think yeah. it's safer because I'm older. People will look at me as like, oh, she can talk about sex. It's cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? It's different. Yeah. <clears throat> and then they're also, I mean, we can kind of touch on this. I think a lot of people don't talk about this, but I think it's important to kind of reflect on is when you're working with somebody in that way and you are building an intimate relationship as a therapist and you're seeing their vulnerability there might also be that transference and reaction towards you where they're, you know, this has come up in the room and we as clinicians know that this happens where the client becomes physically attracted to the therapist or there's some sort of like feelings of love or attraction. And I think a lot of people, a a lot of therapists avoid talking about that as well because of the discomfort that they have around this topic, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Mm -hmm. To think that, oh, like this client, like in my professional job might have sexual feelings towards me or love towards me is uncomfortable to bring up. Mm -hmm. And I think it's funny because if it's uncomfortable for us who are trained professionals to talk about – that are willing to talk about pretty much anything without judgment, imagine how uncomfortable that is just for the general public or the regular person that's not trained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I think, uh, you know, where, I mean, it depends on the kind of therapist you are. And, and, you know, I have friends who are really work with the transference, the counter-transference in the room, and they're wonderful at it. And that's their, they're really their strong suit. Mm-hmm. Um, and some therapists don't. Theoretically, you know, it's not something that they are, they feel is part of their wheelhouse. And, and, and you know, as a, clients are the consumers, you know, mm-hmm. they'll walk in and hopefully we give them, you know, the license to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you know, oh, that lady talked about this, and I don't want to talk about that, and we have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right, they don't want that. Yeah. Next, I have somebody else to refer you to who you might like more. Um, but it is hard because we do have, you know, our own countertransference comes up, and how do you deal with it in the room? And that's why we have supervisors, and, mm-hmm. you know, I have therapists that I'll call and say, this happened. What am I going to do? Yeah. It's important. But I think we're also the leaders for just – a lot of people in having these conversations and modeling that it's okay to yeah. talk about it. And almost de- like just how I'm passionate about destigmatizing de- mental health, right. I think destigmatizing conversations about our sexuality is just as important. And it's something that like kids shouldn't be afraid to talk to their parents about and parents shouldn't be afraid to talk to their kids about because it's life, mm-hmm. you know? And like hopefully by, you know, this discussion and like, Whatever, like for myself even, I can take some of this and use it to become a better therapist and hopefully have that transcend into the work that I do with clients and help them feel more comfortable having those I mean, and, and you know, your clients, I assume, will bring stuff to you that open you up as a better – makes you a better therapist and a better person. Yeah. If you can sit with it. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I kind of want to bring it back to the discussion of infidelity. Ooh. Um, 
Because I want to make sure we cover that in this podcast for sure. Because it's becoming more and more prevalent Mm -hmm. for sure for couples. Um, Not just sexual infidelity, but we were kind of talking before we started recording and how there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of social media stuff going on. There's sexting. There's online Social media is the, is, has destroyed. <laughs> destroyed sex. Yeah. I mean, pornography. Like, it's – you can get a quick fix, like, instantly. How is that impacting relationships, in your opinion? And how is that coming up? Okay, the, the thing that comes up just the most – the thing that comes up the most in sessions with couples is social media. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing that more than anything. Where is it um, stalking behavior? Okay. Like you know, someone following someone, someone following, following, getting obsessed with them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know and, and let's say if you go out on a date with someone, I mean, you, you always know where they are. You follow them and you know who they're, they're seeing. You see what they're posting on Instagram. And so I'm finding a lot of people earlier in relationships gets I'm telling them, don't even, you know, do not get off social media. Do not follow them on Instagram. Do not. Um, because, you know, you, you know too much. And there's no mystery. <laughs> and that's terrible. In relationships that are already established, then you have the other piece, which is um, texting. You know, texting people that, that the, the partner thinks are, is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And whether or not it is inappropriate texting. It's, you know, you could flirt before there was social media, you could flirt. You go to the Ralphs and you flirt with someone and you go home to your spouse and they'll never know. But if you're flirting on texting or if you're flirting on a social platform, you know, and your spouse picks up the phone and sees it, that's that's it. It's forever. So part of the thing is we do have to assess how serious is it? Is this, is this an obsession? Is this person on social media, you know, lurking and looking and, you know, doing things outside of what is okay in their relationship? Mm -hmm. Um, Or is it really, you know, like, like, you know, telling the person who's bringing up your groceries that they're adorable. And and it's, that's something you really have to assess. And it also is who, and that's where the individual therapy comes in because maybe what you think is scary, your partner doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a very like fine line for many people. Like is cheating just having sex with someone else or is cheating sending naked pictures? Is it having a flirting conversation on Instagram? Like, what is it mm-hmm. now? Right. Like, what is infidelity? What's okay and what's not okay? What if I'm looking at, you know, you know, I like, you know, great big naked bears, you know. <laughs> and my husband sees that I'm following the bear jamboree. Yeah. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, oh, I can't handle that. Or my husband might look at that and go, oh, Alicia, you're so funny. You just like to look at naked hairy men. That's adorable. Yeah. I adore you. You know, very personal stuff. And and as as clinicians, we can't judge that. You know? And imagine I, I come back to that vulnerability aspect of like what it must feel like for the partner to like, you know, go on and see, oh, like this is the kind of porn that the, my partner right. watches. Oh my God, my partner likes huge butts. I'm not good enough. <laughs> like I'm not enough. Like that's why we're not having sex. He must not be attracted to me. Like I can't do that. I'm never going to be that kind of girl. Like that's so – Hurtful. Yeah. And that's so the opposite of vulnerability. If that is how you are wired. And that's why the individual therapy is important. And that's why knowing your partner is important. And that's why, you know, because some people, infidelity, 
I, I mean, I love the work of Esther Perel. And, you know, you can, you can reclaim yourself after infidelity. It's not necessarily, and in some couples you can't, it's over. That's it. You've crossed a line. That is that. Yeah. And so as clinicians, you know, we have to figure out what these people need and what they want and who they are. And that's, that's where we help them. Yeah. We can't, you know. But I think coming back to having those discussions and mm-hmm. teaching people how to talk about this, yeah. that's why it's so important. Because if you're able to tell your partner what you need and what, you know, what makes you happy and feel good, you're less likely to go seek that out. Mm-hmm. You're less likely to go watch crazy ass porn. M- more, you're, uh, yeah. Right. And some I mean, couples, you still might. Some couples love likely. porn in their relationships. And yeah. some couples feel threatened by porn in their relationships. So, yeah. It's, there's no, you know, that's the problem with diagnosing. It's like. You, you can't label anything. Right. If it's not a problem, it's not a problem. If it's, you know, you just can't call stuff problems. Totally. Mm. Judgment free zone. <laughs> I think I've learned that just not only as a clinician, but as a person this past year. is really? like a big lesson. I, I mean, I went through a lot of stuff in personal transformation and growth in my own life this year. And like. The biggest lesson I learned was you can never judge anyone for anything. Yeah. You can't even judge people like Donald Trump because <laughs> there's a reason why. Yeah. You know, and like until you're in that person's shoes and see it from their point of view and their perspective, you really can't walk in and have any sort of like preconceived notion or lack of understanding. Like that's something I think we all struggle with is everyone's judging and no one's listening anymore. Yeah. yeah. And our job is not to judge. Yeah. You know, our job, job is to help the person find out who they authentically are. Totally. Who's, you know, you know, I mean, and with sex, that's part of it too. Yeah. It's helping them see each other for who they authentically are. Yeah. Because a lot of times that's a really significant relationship. Your intimate relationship holds a lot of power. You want that person to see you in a certain light. You want to be perceived as the strong man that can take care of your woman or like, you know, you you want that person to admire you. What And whatever that is for you. And, and like mm-hmm. when, when I, you know, polyamorous people come into my office, I have to breathe in and accept that. And I had to learn. I had to learn that, that if they're happy, if that works for them, then that's cool. That's, that's okay. Let's work within this frame. Um, though I, I did, you know, I do think that we have to look sometimes at age and sexuality and th- you brought up, you know, social media and the internet. And, and I do think that young people are getting really weird messages mm-hmm. that, you know, will come up in some therapist's offices and we have to be really careful with that, you know, because you can be addicted to porn. You know, I always say, oh my God, if I was a 15 year old man, I would be on the internet looking at porn. 24 to 7. Yeah. It doesn't, it's perfect, mm-hmm. but you can't. And and so as parents, you have to start being really, really, really mindful of that stuff. Because mm-hmm. there's, it's, it's yeah. It's it is, part of life. It is too yeah. much. It is too much. And that's why these conversations are so important. And that's why it, need, like, it's a, it needs to be almost like a cultural shift. And the relationship with this needs yeah. to be changed. Because... Yeah, it's just uncomfortable for so many people to talk about. And it's not talked about, Mm-mm. but it's happening. It's totally happening. It's we happening. can't hide you from know, it, right, guys. You know, your, your partner will be right next to you on their computer, and it's happening. So it's it's 
I mean, we teach, part of what we do is, as therapists, right, is we teach communications. Whether mm-hmm. we're communicating with a client and they're learning how to talk to another person or you're working with a couple. Yeah. And so how do you communicate? About something so vulnerable. Yeah. 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 And it starts with modeling that and being able to communicate it and be comfortable with it and be vulnerable with it in your own life. So are you going to ask your old your old couple if they're having sex? Way to challenge me. I will work up to that. I will definitely work towards that. Okay, we have a few minutes left, and I always ask my guests to just kind of give three takeaway points for listeners, something they can kind of take from the discussion or something that, like, you feel is a specialist in this topic that, like, is important to share. So what are some three takeaways? Okay, so what's important to share about sex? Yeah, about sex, about communication, about mm. sex, about how that impacts really – like whatever takeaway points you feel are significant. Oh, Lord, that's a hard one. Um, I do think, like I said, that sex is the secret in a couple's relationship. Sex is their special language. And they really, if they let the sex go, then they're missing something. And so to try and find that is is important on some level, whatever that intimacy means, because it can change, our bodies change as we get older. Um, so it's important to find that intimacy and to keep that, because it keeps your, you as a couple. Um, there is too much porn, I do believe that. <laughs> There is too much porn. There's a lot of porn. And if if you're watching porn all the time, you've got to go see somebody. Yeah. Because it can can really be harmful to watch too much porn. I mean, at that point, like, you're not actually experiencing what sex is. Yeah. You're – it's the same – like, that to me, it's okay to watch porn, obviously. Like, people do that. But if you're doing it all the time and it's coming into your relationship and you're not actually needing another human, like – it's like eating too much cake. I mean, yeah. you can't eat cake 24 hours a day. You have to eat vegetables. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's over. So get off the porn. Uh, and and uh, and it's not a problem unless it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And I really always feel like because we as clinicians, you know, we're taught and we want to diagnose and we want to put a little button on this so we can write our treatment plan and blah, blah, blah. And everything is in order and they have this and they have that. It's not a problem unless it's a problem. Yeah. No judgment. Yeah. To, and I encourage not just for clinicians to view it that way, but for the couples, instead of taking a judgmental stance, be curious. Yeah. Be curious about, hey, your your partner wants to try that, like they're into that. Instead of judging them, maybe like explore why or like what they want to feel in that type of experience or why it's important to them. Like be curious. Mm-hmm. Curiosity goes a long yeah. way. It, it might have killed the cat, but it goes a long way. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're only around once, I believe. And then, you know, if you if you, if you you chose someone to be your partner, you know, don't be miserable. Yeah. Try, try not to be miserable. Make an yeah. effort not to be miserable. And if that means coming to therapy, great. If it means, you know, going to Disneyland and wearing your underpants on your head that's great whatever you want to do but just but don't be miserable (laughs) I mean that's what relationships are for they're supposed to add especially an intimate relationship like they add to our lives this is a person you chose to share your life with Mm -hmm. that's a fucking big deal right you know like that should be something that makes life better not worse in all aspects physically emotionally and mentally and if you're at that point where it's there's nothing there 
it's time to like look at it and see what's going on and actually be honest with yourselves. I'm going to go home right now and have that extra side of play. <laughs> <laughs> you do you, girl. No judgment. Um, okay. So I um, wanted to let you kind of share a little bit with the listeners about how they can reach you, where your practice is at, and then we'll go ahead and wrap up. And as everyone knows, I always include her website um, or the guest's website and bio below the podcast episode. So if you guys want to work with Alicia, her information will be linked below. But I'm just going to give her a moment to share. So, yeah, I also work um, through the state at 1-800-GAMBLER. So the state provides free treatment for people affected by uh, pathological gambling, problem gambling. And also, speaking of couples, the people that are affected by it. So if there is a gambler in your life, your spouse your child, you're allowed, you can get free treatment through the 1-800-GAMBLER number. And I'm one of those uh, practitioners. Um, I can be reached at abrandmft, A-B-R-A-N-D-T-M-F-T.com. Or my office number is 323-673-1638. And I see people as early as eight in the morning because they have jobs. Because they have jobs. Okay, cool. So if you guys want to contact Alicia to work with her or if you are a therapist and want to get in contact to network her, that's her info. Um, I wanted to say thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Guiding Compass. I know I haven't had one published for a while, so I appreciate all my listeners. Um, If you would like to be a guest on my podcast or if you have any questions, you can reach me at sandramytherapist at gmail.com or on my website, which is www.meridian-counseling.com. Thank you, and remember to follow your compass, guys. Have a good one.